Good morning. So good to be with you today. I'm excited about uh, what we're going to be discussing. As Terry mentioned, I've seen uh, several new faces this morning. Um, my name's Matt, first of all, I should introduce myself. Um, and we're glad that you're here. As Terry kind of introduced, we're actually traveling this year through a book called We Make the Road by Walking. It's written by Brian McLaren, and it is 52 chapters that kind of take us through the arc and the story of uh, God and humanity. And so we've been in a wonderful series after Easter and Pentecost Sunday where we've been talking about how we need to move in um, conjunction with the Holy Spirit, how we're empowered, how we're enlivened for transformation and what Brian McLaren calls uh, the path to new aliveness. And so today we're continuing that and we're going to be talking, as Terry alluded to so eloquently, service. And so today, if I were going to title this, it would be the spirit of service or descending into greatness. So before we begin with that, let's start with a a prayer, please. Here is the source of every sacrament, the all-transforming presence of the Lord, replenishing our every element, remaking us in God's creative word, For here the earth herself gives bread and wine. The air delights to hear the Spirit's speech. The fire dances where the candles shine. The waters cleanse us with his gentle touch. And here he shows the full extent of love. To us whose love is always incomplete. In vain we search the heavens high above. While the God of love is kneeling at our feet. Though we betray him, though it is the night, he meets us here and loves us into light. Dear God, we acknowledge your presence with us this day. We thank you for the music that's led us into a recognition and awareness of you being here in our midst. We thank you for the opportunity to give of our finances and of our talents and of ourselves as to model the service that uh, Terry alluded to. You are a dang good God, and we love you for it. So be with us for the next few minutes as we kind of break the bread of your, your word and your truth. Lord, whatever is said this day, may the heart of why we gather here be about meeting you in the here and in the now. Transform us, shape us, make us into the image of Jesus. And we thank you for your love. Your love is overwhelming. Amen. Brian McLaren starts this chapter with this statement. The spirit leads us downward. Now that may come as a surprise to people who are raised in a culture that is obsessed With upward mobility. We climb social ladders. We rise to a higher standard of living. We reach for a higher position. We want to be on top. Some even use drugs so that whatever their actual circumstances, they will at least feel high. Even our religious communities 
often have an up, up, and away mentality, flying away to heaven, leaving this old earth below and behind. But the Spirit leads us downward to the bottom, to the place of humility, to the position and posture of service. And that is where the Spirit, like water, flows. We're a people who are obsessed with power. We want what others have, and we want others to want what we have. This is the way of the world. It was there in the beginning in the biblical story of Adam and Eve who were not content to see themselves as a part of creation, but instead acted upon the impulse to have the very power of God. It was there when Cain slayed Abel over a claim of land. It was there when the inhabitants of Babel thought they would build a tower, a ziggurat, that would reach to the heavens and thus lay hold of the very power of the heavens. And that's just the first 11 chapters. You see, this way or system of how we handle power, of our intent and our purpose to be gods ourselves. This is what some have called the mimetic impulse. And as a result, retributive violence. Mimetic impulse because we mime or imitate. That's who we are as humans. So here's how this fleshes out. And bear with me as I launch into my old professorial mode for just a moment. It's an itch I have to scratch from time to time. And unfortunately, you're here today. You see, number one, as humans, we are mimetic creatures. That is, we imitate. We don't imitate, uh, or we don't learn to imitate as was once thought, but instead we, we learn by imitating. In fact, there's even scientific data out there now that demonstrates that Fetuses are already imitating our mothers while we're in the womb. We imitate. As a result of imitating and wanting to be like people, we're drawn to what others have. And as I said before, we also want others to want what we have. This is what I would put before you today is the origin of power. The ability to possess what we desire when we want it. Be it money or fame or people or things. Think of it this way. Imagine, if you will, a room filled with toys. Toys R Us is going out of business, they say. So just imagine that you have a Toys R Us. And you've got toys ranging from thousands of dollars to lowly sticks. Now imagine two toddlers are let loose in this store. One toddler grabs a toy. Does it really matter what that toy is? What in this store now to that second toddler is the most attractive toy? It's the toy that the other one has. It could be a box. It could be a piece of trash left on the ground. 
in the midst of a plethora of beautiful things, what the other has is what we want. Now think of it this way. Taken to an extreme, isn't this a powerful illustration of the human situation and the way in which our world works? Those with the most toys win. Whether or not these toys are the nicest, newest minivan, the bigger house down the street, or the honor roll student that we want to have. We want what others have that we do not and are often willing to do violence in order to get what we want. Now that violence may be in the form of physical violence. This toddler hits that toddler. (laughs) Give me that. Or it may be violence we do to ourselves and to our families by a relentless and unhealthy focus on work, or the accruement of debt in order to get what we desire. Third, that violence doesn't come without a cost, though, because those who we do violence to in order to get what we want repay our violence with more violence. And this is what is called the retributive cycle of violence. Violence is met with more violence, which is met with even more violence until someone or someone's tribe or nation's power is deemed unchallengeable. And now, the tension in our society, in our family, in our group of concern becomes palpable. Something must be done to release the tension. And this And this idea of mimetic mechanism introduces the idea of a scapegoat. You see, in order to release that tension that develops from this imitating, this mimetic mechanism of wanting what others have, a scapegoat is identified. This is a person or a class of persons that is designated as other or evil. And thus worthy of our violence. Examples might be here in America or in South Africa, whites and blacks. In Europe, it could be Serbs and Croats. Could be Americans and Russians, as every 80s and early 90s movie attests to. Just think of Rocky and Drago. It could be Democrats and Republicans. And even Christians and Muslims. It's the other. And again, this violence can be physical. We can wage war on one another, drop bombs on one another. It could be psychological in the sense of uh, how we treat an other, the individual. Just go onto Facebook during election season and see what happens on your page. And it can even be economical. We cut off resources and opportunities and supplies to those who are our scapegoats. You see, when violence is done to those individuals, tension is relieved. We can get along with each other now, our own kind, because we've taken out our violent urgings on the other or the scapegoat. 
And we could go on and on and on about this. Take me to coffee if you want to hear more. Always down for coffee. I always offer that. Nobody ever takes me up on it. But the point is, is that this is the world and this is the mechanism in which Jesus was born. And Jesus, as we will observe today, asks us, as he did his disciples, to observe how power is handled wrongly by the world, even our religious institutions. Let's look at our first passage today given by McLaren. It's in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. I'm reading out of the message version of the Bible. It says, Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with him. The religion, scholars, and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses. But be careful about following them. Miming them, imitating them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head of the table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctrine and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you're all classmates. Don't set up people as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you put yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. You see, the Pharisees were a part of this mimetic mechanism. They arranged the system and abused the teachings of Moses, the Torah, so as to build up power for themselves. They scapegoated the poor, the broken, the sick, and the destitute in the name of God. In order to advance their agenda. Now. To be fair. Because the Pharisees get a bad rap sometimes. I believe this system that the Pharisees were guilty of perpetrating. Came from a faulty understanding of God. See for the Pharisees. God was a God of power and violence. A God who demanded perfection. Was quick to punish those. Who did not live up to that perfection. This was often an angry God, a wrathful God, a God who was far off and removed when his law was not followed to the smallest detail. Somehow the Pharisees, because of this, had missed the point, the heart of the teachings of Moses. But Jesus got it. Jesus understood the heart of God and came to show it to us. 
Listen to how McLaren describes this. He says, before Jesus and even after him, most people assume that God was at a great distance above us. To approach God meant to leave the world. But Jesus modeled a profoundly different vision. God comes down. God meets us where we are, in our neighborhood, in our level, where we need God most. God descends to the pit of need, suffering, and abandonment. God is not distant from us, aloof across a chasm, far above looking down. No, God is with us. Here. Now. In reach. Again. But the Spirit leads us downward. To the bottom, to the place of humility, to the position and posture of service. That's where the Spirit, like water, flows. Over and over again in the pages of the New Testament, Jesus models for us a way of dealing with power that is the opposite of how the world deals with it. In his attitude, we see this in the temptation of wilderness. In the wilderness where Satan, the accuser, comes to Jesus and says, I'll give you everything if you'll throw yourself off of this temple, if you will make these stones into bread, if you will... Bow down and worship to me and follow the way of violence. And Jesus says no. In his teachings, Jesus shows us that whoever would be first should be last. That in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must first become like a child. And especially in Jesus' actions, we see the proper way of dealing with power, which is service. It's being with and embracing the unclean and the marginalized and so on and so on. And over and over again, he reveals the Father's true heart towards power. That in order to be like God, we must descend into greatness. Our second passage this morning is a mind-blowing example of this. And it's found in John 13, 1 through 17. This is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, the twelve, right before he's going to be handed over to the authorities and face uh, not only his trial, but also his crucifixion. It says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. And having loved his compassion, his companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time, and the devil, by now a Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God when he was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? This is Peter, right? Jesus answered, you don't understand what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. 
Master, said Peter, not only my feet, then wash my hands, wash my head. (laughs) Jesus said, if you had a bath this morning, you only need your feet washed now. And you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean. But not every one of you. He knew it was betraying him, and that's why he said, not every one of you. And after he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. And live a blessed life. You see, here Jesus is modeling how power is to be handled. He's given the demonstration and the example from our earlier passage of how the world does it and how it's wrong and to be aware of that. And now he's modeling and showing how it is to be handled. Once you receive power, you must give it away. McLaren has this to say about it. While we race to get to the head of the table, Jesus shocks everyone and takes the role of a servant washing their feet. While we push and squeeze into the inner circle, Jesus shocks Everyone and walks out to the margins to hang out with the outcasts and outsiders. While we struggle to make ourselves rich, often at the expense of others, Jesus shocks everyone. He pours out everything he is and has. And while we fight to seize power over others, Jesus empowers others by standing with them in solidarity, by listening to them with respect, by seeking to make them successful, even at a great cost to himself. Again, but the Spirit leads us downward to the bottom, to the place of humility. To the position and posture of service. That's where the spirit. Like water. Flows. Our third and final passage this morning. States just how great a cost it was. That Jesus endured. In Philippians chapter 2. We've done this many times. This is my favorite passage in the scriptures. We see this. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life 
and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus the Christ and call out and praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. See, this again is the key to how we handle power. How we overcome the mimetic mechanism and end a cycle of retributive violence. Instead of imitating the systems of the world, instead of modeling ourselves after a distant and wrathful God, instead of seeking that upward mobility and that up, up, and away life, we imitate Lamb of God who was slain, Jesus the Christ. You see, this whole mimetic thing is that we imitate the way of the world. We want power. But in the person of Jesus Christ, the most powerful and the one who had right to do violence to those of us who have betrayed him, Instead, chose to let that fall on him. And if we are mimetic creatures, if we imitate, instead of imitating the way of the world, now we have a model, an exemplar to imitate in the person of Jesus the Christ. It couldn't get any more clear from these passages that Jesus says, Look at how the world does power. Even, and especially heinous, the religious systems that use the very name of God, pervert it so as to move themselves ahead. It says, that's not our way. Not only does Jesus say that, but Jesus teaches that and demonstrates that. Jesus is the God of the towel and the basin. Jesus is the God who is the master, but who serves. As a result, we are to serve like him. And not only that, but we're to serve in the way that Jesus served to where even though he was God, he did not cling to those rights and to that divine privilege, but instead emptied his very life out. The band's going to come up now and they're going to play a song. I'm going to come back and what I want to do is we conclude... So I want to just give us a couple of the scenarios that McLaren offers us in this chapter and that Terry mentioned earlier in the giving moment. I want us to put ourselves in some very concrete situations and imagine what it is like to live this downward life, to live this life that descends into greatness. For you see, but the Spirit leads us downward to the bottom, to the place of humility, to the position and posture of service, because that's where the Spirit, like water, flows. But the Spirit leads us downward to the bottom, to the place of humility, to the position and posture of service, 
And that's where the spirit, like water, flows. While we fight to seize power over others, Jesus empowers others by standing with them in solidarity. By listening to them with respect, by seeking to make them successful, and even at a great cost to himself. Listen to these examples of what it means to move in the Spirit, with the Spirit, by the Spirit, as we descend into greatness. If you listen to the Spirit, here's what will happen to you. You'll be at a party and you'll notice on one side of the room all the beautiful people laughing and having fun together. And in a far corner, you'll notice a person who is alone, feeling awkward, not knowing anyone. The Spirit will draw you to that person in need. You may become the bridge that connects that outsider to the insiders. And in that connection, both will be better off. Have you ever been there? Here's what will happen to you if you listen to the Spirit. You'll realize that someone is angry at you or resentful towards you. You'll hear that someone has spread false information about you or worked behind your back to do you harm. And everything in you will want you to write them off or get them back. But the Spirit will draw you toward them in humility. I have a problem and need your help, you will say. I feel there may be some tension or distance between us. I want to close the gap and be sure things between us are good. Your opponent may be too angry or insecure to respond well, but whatever happens, know this, the Spirit is at work in you. Have you ever been there? Here's what will happen if you listen to the Spirit. You'll make a mistake and you'll be tempted to cover it up, minimize it, make an excuse for it, hide it from view, but the Spirit will draw you to admit it. First to yourself and to God, and then to those who deserve to know. You will say, here's what I did. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And in that acknowledgement, God will be real. In your humility, God will be present. For the Spirit moves downward. Here's what will happen if you listen to the Spirit. You'll see a person or a group being vilified or scapegoated. Everyone's blaming them, shaming them, gossiping about them, feeling superior to them, venting their anxieties on them. If you join in, you'll feel part of the group. If you're silent, they'll assume you're with them. But the Spirit will draw you to different, to differ courageously and graciously. I'm sorry you'll say, but I see things very differently. I know this person. He is my friend. She is a good person. They are human beings just like us. You will risk your reputation in defending the person or people being scapegoated. And in that risk, both you and they will know what God's spirit is alive and at work in your midst. We're called to serve. Because we're called to be like our God... Who decided that there is no other. Who sat with the outcasts. Who spoke up. And came alongside the marginalized. This is our challenge today. Grovians. Groovers. Whatever we call ourselves. Let's be like God. By being like Jesus. Recognizing when we're a part of the system that is the world. And consciously deciding and daring to be different. To instead of rising upward, to descend into greatness. Let's be what a servant leader is. Let's love, let's, even when we have power, give it away. And let's have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. 
who even endowed with the power of God, even with all of the authority that the world had to offer, decided, I'll leave that, I'll empty myself so that I can stand with all. Guys, gals, there is no us and them. There's us. Let's love, let's serve, let's lead one another into what it means to be whole people. Not only good citizens of this nation, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven who institute and bring in the peace and shalom of God's world into this world. Stand to your feet if you, with, if you will with me and let me pray a blessing over you. God, I pray that for all in this room, for all upstairs, regardless of their age or downstairs, or even our teens, that you would teach us to be aware of the system in which we live, to decide to eschew that system, to part ways with that system, and instead become like you. That when we have any kind of power, however big or small it is, we seek to give it away for your purpose so that we may institute love into this world. Teach us to be aware. Teach us to be servants like you were a servant. And teach us, even if it costs us our reputation and our very lives, to know what it is to find freedom by being a part of your world, not the system of this world. Again, you're awesome God. Not one who's far off. Not one who's wrathful and out to get us. But a God who descends into the very midst of our pain and our suffering. Our joy and our celebration. And has decided to be one of us so that we may be with you. And through you and in you impact this world. We love you God. Empower us to do what you've called us to do. We thank you for that. In the strong and sweet name of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, we say, Amen. So be it. Greet each other in a very appropriate manner. Uh, Safe touch. And go out and be God's hands and feet to this world.